Hello, and welcome to today's today's edition of How on Earth. It's Tuesday, April 26, 2016, and I'm your host, Kendra Kruger. Coming up on today's show, we'll hear about a new energy auditing and upgrade training program here in Boulder, led by the Environmental Center at the University of Colorado. Also, we're joined in the studio by one of the creators of Unified Self, a data immersion experience, coming up this weekend on campus. Are you your data? Tune in. But first, a few announcements in the science event calendar for the week. Tomorrow evening, Patty Limerick from CU Boulder's Center for the American West will give a talk about sustainability. Look beneath the surface, mining, drilling, and the human quest to understand the underground. Patty Limerick's talk will take place at Fraser Meadows Retirement Center. It starts at 730 Thursday evening, you can buy tickets to Fisk Planetarium at CU Boulder, where the topic will be, Can We Go There? Propelling Space Travel from Fiction to Fact. For more information, contact Fisk Planetarium. If you know of any upcoming science events you'd like us to consider announcing on air, contact us through our website, howonearthradio.org. And now, a brief story about girls and science, because science is still mostly a man's world. Losing the opportunity for more of a woman's perspective, as well as the benefits of these strong professional careers for the women themselves. To encourage more girls to go after science professions, the Denver Science Museum recently held a special day where hundreds of women professionals volunteered their time to create exhibits and be there to chat with visitors and thousands of girls to come to meet the professional women and learn about their science-related careers. From Denver, How on Earth Shelley Schlender reports about Girls and Science Day. If you ask girls, what do you want to be when you grow up? Many of them like to think big. When I grow up, I want to be a marine biologist. Astronaut. When I grow up, I want to be a scientist. To help girls go as far as their dreams. Last month, families flocked to the Denver Science Museum's Girls and Science Day. The special day makes science very interactive and brings in professional women who work in science and talk with the visitors. Environmental engineer Daniela Castaneda explained to a young girl how Denver filters drinking water by pouring pebble-filled water through grains of glitter so that the water poured through and the pebbles stayed behind. And so you'll see how the water that comes out the bottom is pretty clean. And this is what we'll do in water treatment plants is we'll use filters. In another area of the museum, girls talked about bird banding with professional field biologist Emily Snowed Brennanman. We actually put this little device called a radio track on them, and then we actually glue it to the back, then we can track their movement. It's a career that appealed to high school student Annika. I think it would be cool to do something working with birds, because I've been interested in them for a long time. At another booth, girls crowded around the Denver Center for Performing Arts costume designer, Megan Anderson-Doyle. It's pretty exciting. I get to play dress-up every day. Pointing to her mannequin, Doyle told the girls that what will help them dress that dummy in a dramatic costume is the science of geometry. We're going to take these two-dimensional ideas, so drawings and pattern pieces, and we're going to make them into a three-dimensional outfit for our friends. Doyle offered the girls flat pieces of sleeves and collars and the fronts of shirts. So go ahead and Velcro these two pieces together. She draped their assembled pieces onto the mannequin. And true to the science of geometry, it now wore a skirt and blouse. So we took all of our flat pieces and made it into a little dress. At 
at yet another demonstration area, girls waited in line to use a big microscope and to talk with aerospace engineer Tanisha Ross. Ross said that the green computer circuit board she held up for them used to be in the International Space Station and it needs a repair. I'm gonna put this uh, board under the microscope and then you let me know if it helps you see the part better, okay? okay. All right, here we go. That's cool. Cool? Did you like it? Yeah. All right, you interested in aerospace? A little bit. All right, cool. Well, keep going to events like this, and then you'll get to meet a lot of uh, aerospace engineers in here, and then we'll help guide you to your career path. Thanks. All right. Science journalism was also part of Girls in Science Day, as Kayla Michener interviewed Girls in Science organizer Colleen Carter. Why did you decide to um, do this, the Girls in Science um, exhibit? Well, first I'm a mom. I have two girls of my own. So it kind of is important to me that girls know that they can do anything that they want to do. I want to be a novelist when I grow up. I'm so excited because I hope someday I get to read one of your books. Yeah. That would be super fun. <laughs> and with so many opportunities for women in science, Fifth grader Lily said it's okay to share. I think that boys should definitely try science even though it's girls' day because science is fun, really fun. Families, including boys, are always welcome on Girls in Science Day. The event is a reminder that women in science can be great mentors for helping everyone dream big about what girls will be when they grow up. For How on Earth, I'm Shelley Schlender in Denver. listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Kendra Kruger. Yesterday, I sat down with some folks from the Environmental Center at CU Boulder to talk about a new community energy auditing training program. Let's take a listen. So I'm joined here today by Michelle Gabriela Parrish, and she is the Energy and Climate Justice Program Manager at the CU Environmental Center and also with Dr. Pablo Conejo, he is the FLOWS coordinator, also another project under the CU Environmental Center. Welcome. Thank you, hi. Thanks a lot. Let's tell me a little bit more about the CU Environmental Center. Um, well, it's actually the largest and oldest environmental center on any college campus in the US. It was founded on Earth Day 46 years ago, so we just had a birthday. Um, and we have now, uh, 14 uh, more permanent staff and about 120 to 130 some odd student staff that all work to help make CU more sustainable from recycling to transportation to energy to environmental justice. Um, so I coordinate or I manage a lot of the energy programs and climate justice programs um, and some of that is you know, hard skills where people are actually replacing light bulbs, and some of it is education and awareness raising around issues maybe surrounding energy. And it, is it true that the Environmental Center is funded by student fees? Yeah, right? so the students are our bosses. That's amazing. Uh -huh. <laughs> and we have a student board and CUSG, which is the student government, um, 
you know, gives us their blessing each year, and, and if something needs to be tweaked or they want us to focus on something else, we do. Um, but this is a student-run initiative. It was founded by students, and it continues, honestly, to be run by students, which is really unique and um, kind of exciting, even on the national sphere. So let's get a little more into this FLOWS project. So Pablo, give us a little rundown of, of what is FLOWS. What does that stand for? Sure. So FLOWS stands for Foundations for Leaders Organizing for Water and Sustainability. It's a new program that focuses on training students and community members to do water and energy upgrades in Boulder's affordable housing communities. So it's um, basically a program where community members can come together with students and learn how to conduct water energy upgrades, gain some green job skills, and learn more about sustainable water and energy conservation in residential homes. Um, we're partnering with uh, Boulder Housing Partners mm-hmm. and the affordable housing communities that they manage throughout uh, the city of Boulder. And basically, we're hoping to train FLOWS leaders that will receive a certificate of completion for participating in this water education uh, training, as well as a stipend for their participation. And... Um, The uh, students and community members um, are really an integral part to creating more of an empowering situation where um, we're not just going into a community as university people, but actually collaborating with and working for the community to focus on this important issue of water and energy conservation in the Boulder area. So it sounds like there's really... um two intersecting aspects of this. There's kind of the social justice aspect of working with low-income communities, doing training and education, and also the energy conservation aspect. Uh, and it sounded like in your program that there's also some, you're, you're hoping to incorporate some dialogues on, on social and eco-justice. Why is that important? Yeah, so um, this, this issue is really important because um, A lot of this stemmed from from an existing model uh, called SCORE, which is a student-to-student peer model where students go into the homes of other students and they talk to them about water and energy conservation, the importance of it, and then also provide free water and energy upgrades. In, In the current model, we really wanted to integrate a social equity piece and that's the reason why we're working with the affordable housing communities throughout uh, Boulder County. And the eco-social justice part is really important because we have a lot of embedded knowledge already in the communities where folks have grandparents and elders that were already practicing sustainable traditions. So really it's about talking about our stories, talking about where we come from, talking about the connection, our existing connection to the eco-social movement and doing it in a way where we're communicating to the people, with the people, and 
not not over not using these technical terms that get locked that where people lose the meaning of, of the words that we're actually talking about. And what are the what kind of upgrades are these that would happen? Uh, right now, we're talking about uh, LED light bulbs and shower heads and faucet aerators, weather stripping, um, caulking if there's any leaks anywhere. Um, the big one is we got a donation. We got a donation from Kohler for some um, water smart toilets that'll also be installed in some of the homes and the ones where it's needed. Um, and then again, along with that will be behavior change. So making sure that people are, you know, emptying out their dryer lint traps, you know, which seems like not very much, but it starts to add up. And um, so having little behavior tricks that people can do to help save on their utility costs, um, along with some of the widgets to help them make that happen. And you're saying that this was a program previously done with students, students going into other students' home. Was there any data collected or results shown from those studies that seemed showing that people were saving in energy costs? Yes, actually. Um, SCORE has been going on for a number of years now. It precedes me at the university. And every year we collect how many homes did we do, how many widgets. We've been doing about 100 homes a semester. And um, we also ask people in those meetings to make a commitment. So after learning and sitting down with us for about you know 45 minutes to an hour, we have them come up with three things that they would like to do to help them save energy and water. And um, we follow up with them a couple of weeks later to see how they're doing with some of those commitments. And some of them are as easy as, you know, I'm just going to refer someone else to the SCORE program, which helps us get the word out. And some of them are like, you know, I'm going to reduce my shower time in half. And so we call them in a few weeks and say, how's it going? Is it easier than you thought? Is it harder than you thought? Um, So you're getting feedback from people and it seems to be effective. Yeah. Yeah, and then a great thing about the current FLOWS program is there's uh, water and energy metering uh, on site. So we'll, we'll be able to see in real time how much water is being saved through this, through the educational efforts and through installing these widgets. Um, and uh, there's also a text message campaign associated with it where we're working with these folks to send out a message, a weekly or weekly message to folks about how much water and energy they're saving and the goal is to you know save help people uh, lower their water and energy bills Mm -hmm. so tell me more about the upcoming program so you're going to be training students and community members to do these audits and to do these upgrades Mm -hmm. right and so who's eligible for that program and what's what's actually be happening in the training so people who are low-income community members essentially qualify anybody who's you know under the boulder county human services guidelines um can apply and really some of this is coming from seed funding that we got so it's a pilot program that we're working on right now to see if we can kind of expand it but you know we got seed funding from wells fargo and bonneville environmental foundation and um with that we'll be able to train these community members um, which have already started to apply and students a lot of whom have already been working on scores so they have some of these skills 
Um, but it's a little bit of a different training to go out into the community than it is peer-to-peer. You know, you might be dealing with people with children and elders in the home or you know, someone who's disabled and just a little bit of a different um, feeling than it might be peer-to-peer. And so we're going to be doing a little bit of training on that as well, you know, and cultural uh, capacity building, essentially, for um, students at the university. So... Basically, if you're a CU student, uh, you can apply, and if you are a low-income community member, according to the Boulder County Human Services Guidelines... What are the the dates of the training and extent of it? Pablo? The the trainings are going to take place on May 22nd and May 29th um, from 10 to 2, and then we're... um, going to have a day where we all gather after the trainings to go and do the residential home visits and those will be taking place on June 11th and June 12th at the same time and we're really looking forward to to this pilot project it, it's um, it's been great to just go visit the community talk to the, the kids in the community we held an initial community meeting and there was a lot of interest, and Boulder's a, a great place to do this where a lot of folks already have this environmental consciousness embedded in in their everyday activities. So we're looking forward to being able to build more, um, not only in the on this initial pilot project, but in the future as well. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, too, emphasize that you know, the training isn't just widgets and how to install these things. Those things will obviously be covered. But to really look at whose heritage is sustainability, you know. And so, you know, there's often a mis, uh, misguided image that, you know, with the word sustainability, people often think of, you know, affluent white people. Even though there's such a tradition in so many different communities of essentially being sustainable but not necessarily calling it that so a large part of the training is some of this holistic view of sustainability not just widgets and carbon emissions but um, cultural wisdom and like Pablo had said you know like what were some of our grandparents doing and getting back to some of those traditions that might actually help us in this era of you know climate chaos and even some of the uh, cultural dissipation that is happening. So we're going to be covering a really holistic view of sustainability in the training. Sounds like a really multi-tiered sort of exercise. So where can people find out more information? So the website is on the environmental website. It's uh, www.colorado.edu forward slash e-center forward slash flows. Um, F-L-O-W-S so that's colorado.edu slash e-center slash flows and we'll have the link to that on our blog later today well thank you so much for joining me today and speaking with our How on Earth crowd thank you, thank you so much thank uh, you Michelle Gabriela Parrish and Pablo Cornejo thank you thank you have a good one
If you are just joining us, you're listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, and I'm your host, Kendra Kruger. Today, I'm joined in the studio by Michael Skirpin. He's a PhD candidate at the University of Colorado in the Computer Science Department. He and his colleagues are working on a project called Quantified Self. It is an immersive data experience. And I think I'll let Michael explain a little bit to us about what that actually means. So welcome, Michael. Thanks for being here. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So what that actually means, immersive data experience, it sounds a little abstract, but um, essentially it's a theater performance. So we have a a custom script that was, have been work, has been worked on for the past year. And it's all about um, the future of what people do with our data. And so the theater performance is happening. And meanwhile, there's also a number of custom exhibits that we've made. And the exhibits basically use your social media or other data that you've shared with us in different creative ways or reflective ways that kind of show you some of the possibilities engineers might see uh, whenever they get your data. I think for a lot of people, when they sign up for a service, they don't really know what happens after the consent process, say, with Facebook or with Google saying, yeah, you can use our data. Uh, Of course, I'm giving you my data because uh, I'm going to share comments and emails through your service. Um, But then what do people do with that data? I think everybody focuses on just is it private? Is it encrypted? Which are good questions. But um, our show is actually interested in what does research look like with data? What does product development look like with data? Why would you sell data? Who would be the kind of person who would want data? So we've kind of created a setting and a world where people can explore some of those further consequences, some of that more abstract stuff that you don't really get right off of reading a terms of service if you actually even read them. So it's uh, definitely it's part theater and part interaction. Uh, the audience is invited to talk with the actors while they're in character and kind of explore some of the world and scenes and some of the ethical dilemmas that show up. So it's supposed to emulate a space where you can um, sort of act like this is a little futuristic party that you entered into. So what what kind of data is it that people can see or experience from themselves? Right. So we work with Google, Facebook, Reddit, Spotify, Twitter, um, Tumblr, and Instagram. And so when you sign up for a ticket to the show, we ask that, just like many other apps do, that you authorize us to use your accounts. And what we do um, is very limited. We don't, you know, scour through your accounts, but we look for uh, certain word usages. I mean, this is all done algorithmically. No human ever looks at any of this. Uh, so we've already set up a long time ago a whole encryption scheme that first involves encrypting all of the things that you share with us. And then later when we process it, we quickly decrypt it and algorithms basically go through and do things like find what's your most common word. Who do you talk to the most? Maybe looking at faces of people that you're with and how similar they are. We do face hashing. There's some some advanced techniques and some things are really simple, just um, giving you a space to think about things you might have said that had very emotionally charged language and things like this. Um, because the experiences vary from really goofy things like trying to figure out if you can tell if something's true or false, like a fact, if it's made up or not, to um, a little more heavy. We have a mental health exhibit, which you kind of sit and 
by yourself and you go through uh, how happy you are with your life. And then we show you things from your data that may or may not relate to some of the things you're feeling, depending on words you use and how you kind of like go through this sort of survey process on it. So you're a computer science scientist. <laughs> and are you, who are you collaborating with to make this happen, to make it more of this kind of whole artistic project as well? Yeah, the team is huge. Um, so we have about 40 people on the team. And we're collaborating across eight departments at CU Boulder, as well as we have industry partners. So um, some of the main people, so Jackie Cameron is our project coordinator. She's kind of the person who keeps it all together and really knows uh, every little detail of like who needs to get paid right now. When does this budget do? Um, and she's amazing. And Will Lewis is our director. He's in the theater department. Misha Gorelick is a professional data scientist for, at Fast Forward Labs, and he's agreed to do a lot of our data engineering and security stuff. Um, we have Alex Klinger, who is a former Atlas student who's now doing, you know, his own lighting and design work. And he did a lot of our graphic design. He's doing our lighting design. Uh, the, the team is just huge. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, it was, it was amazing to see how many people wanted to be on the project, how many people wanted to, uh, get involved once they heard what it was. And we've tried our best to accommodate people and it's been nice. I mean, we've had, uh, aeronautical engineer from the area who heard about our project and ended up designing a set piece. Um, so we kind of have everyone from undergrads across engineering and art departments, all the way up to the level of professional engineers involved in the project. So the show is happening this weekend, but it looks like all the tickets are sold out already. That's incredible. Yeah. But what's so what's the next step? Are there going to be more shows? Yeah, there uh, is definitely going to be further runs of this. Now, where and when they're going to happen is up in the air right now. Our project was funded by the Knight Foundation. So the Knight Foundation is a large funder of art, journalism, and what they call media innovation. We were actually funded through their media innovation program, but now their arts program looks to be very likely to pick us up and continue funding us. Now, if that happens, we will probably go to one of the cities that they target, which is Philadelphia, Detroit, um, I think Minneapolis, Minnesota. So they have a few different places that they target and we might end up there. But half of our collaborative professional team is in New York City and we have a number of connections there. So there's kind of a few places that are looking likely, but it's not positive. Well, if people can't go to the show, can they find out more information about the program in general? Definitely. So we have a website, imadatapoint.com, um, and we have a, a pretty extensive about page to learn a little bit more. Um, also, once the show's over and I'm actually sleeping normal hours and things, I definitely will be putting up a lot of documentation along with a number of other team members who sort of have backlog documentation to make sure people can see the process. What did the set look like and everything? So we hope to have a really um, nice online presence for people to learn about it. Great. Well, thank you for telling us about it, Michael. That's Michael Skirpin. He is a PhD candidate in the computer science department, and he's working on a project called Quantified Self. Check it out. Thank you for being here, Michael. Thank you.
That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Shelley Schlender. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Kendra Kruger. Additional contributions by Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Leon Lahavas. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Kendra Kruger.